Welcome, everyone, to the AI in Business podcast. I'm Matthew DeMello, Senior Editor here at Emerge Technology Research. Today's guest on the program is Giro Gunkel, Chief Operating Officer and Data Science Leader at Zurich Insurance. Giro returns to the program to explain how much successful AI adoptions rely on planning that has nothing to do with coding, data, or algorithms. Enlisting considerations from design to keeping subject matter experts engaged, Giro cites specific insurance-related examples for where non-technical decisions can make or break an early in-house AI initiative. Without further ado, here's our conversation. Thanks so much for being back on the program, Giro. Thanks for having me again. Excellent. Talking about looking beyond algorithms in the insurance space, what factors do you think are as important in building an algorithmic model that business leaders aren't thinking of when they embark on solving a business problem with models? I would like to start to to re-emphasize how critical the non technical and non-data parts mm -hmm. of the equation are to, to have success. And I appreciate everyone is saying this, mm -hmm. but I think the more I'm in this space, the longer I work, the stronger comes for me the realization that it's not like a 50-50 thing, but that really 80% of your of your success is, is down to non-technology, non-data considerations for the work you're doing. So to answer your question, I think before you you start to to apply AI to a process or an activity. And again, I appreciate data and technology is important. Of course, yep. There are also other factors to keep in mind. And for me, the top ones are really people, processes, timing, and incentives. So these are the four things you should always keep in mind when you essentially see where you want to start with your AI journey or where you want to apply AI next. And these have nothing to do with tech. This is looking at, you know, intuitive user design, the proper incentive to adopt new processes, you know, early involvement of users, day-to-day -day tracking, things anybody can do. They don't need a data degree. How do you start building those considerations into an AI adoption team if you're just getting started and you are just getting your head around that you need models to begin with? Yeah, so I think... Let's maybe unpack it the following way. Let's consider mm -hmm. exactly these points to choose first your, your target application area and then look at, let's look at exactly the same points for the adoption journey, if that's all right. If you try to look for an area, I mean, starting with people, you need to look for an area where there's, again, the acceptance and readiness to adopt this technology. You also need to look for an area where essentially the staff turnover isn't that high that if you train them, you basically need to retrain the team in, in another six months. So these are a few things that I think are, for instance, critical in the people dimension. On the process dimension, I think it's important to choose processes that are very well documented and that you could essentially also amend in a way to create a process that is, as you said yourself, intuitive, simple, something that the end users like. Of course. In terms of timing, which I understand is actually often an, an unappreciated dimension. It's also around change capacity because, you know, you maybe have this one process that 
you think is just perfect for AI, but if it's perfect for AI, it's potentially also perfect for some other change initiatives that are ongoing in your company. So the question is also, does the business team really have the capacity to run with you this AI project now, or is it better to revisit this later? Because mm. AI change is big change, and for big change, you need, you need the people's attention, you need the people's time. Proper incentives transition from business to business. You mentioned a really good question right there about a really good question that businesses should ask themselves about their own internal organizations to judge whether new processes are necessary to take the next step of, of solving business problems with data. Are there any other questions they need to ask, even, even about, you know, not even just the internal organization, but external? Do they need to make sector considerations? Could you give me an example of a sector consideration? Competition, how they want to develop their AI, you know, systems in response to what else is out there in the insurance space, or if the all of the considerations are purely internal, you know, hey, correct me if I'm wrong. I am actually very much in favor to focus on yourself and focus on your own processes. Right, right. Because sometimes you see other ones doing a certain use case, but very often you're comparing apples with oranges. And yeah. even if your market be had the success somewhere, it's very often like a heavy contextualized setup that has maybe been good for him, but maybe not good for you. So I think rather than, in a way, chasing the success case you've read about from, from a market peer from a different industry, I think it's much more about focusing on your own organization. And ultimately, you yourself will know your own organization, your strengths and weaknesses best. Yeah, I, I, I think you make a really, really good point there. Even, you know, outside of insurance, just about, you know, how to go about AI, which is like, worry about yourself, make it an internal process. Don't worry about what everybody else is doing. And I think that I think that's a that's a great take home for everybody in the audience inside and out of insurance. Just diving into, you know, user design, because this is a consideration for development or IT considerations that may not, or at least, you know, departments that may not have, you know, the highest priority in like a non-tech company or like an insurance firm, or you might be, you know, working with a vendor that's helping you make sure that the design is intuitive. How do insurance leaders and FinServe leaders writ large make sure that design and, and experience considerations are coming to the surface of conversations about developing these kinds of technologies? So similar to my first statement around the change, I think it's also here important to emphasize that your UX designer is probably as important for the success of the project as your AI engineer, probably even more important. And core idea in my view is always to keep it radically simple on day one. Because if you design some user interface or user flow that is too complicated, then you make the adoption journey for the users more difficult. And the moment you have a more difficult journey of people to kind of learn and get their head around, the adoption will be slower, the business impact will be slower, and you're basically already on the, on the wrong track. So day one, keep it radically simple. And actually before the go live, what I'm always very keen on is to involve the end users in the design of the user interfaces of the whole flow from the very, very, very start. Do not think you know it better. The people who engage with a business process and activity, they know, their, they know their world, they know what they need. So really center everything you do around their needs and make them happy. And the scale, the impact will from that almost come automatically. 
Very, very interesting. So just to just to boil down what you're saying, you need someone on the team on par with the data scientist leading the charge on, on the data side. You need someone right alongside of them who is an expert in user design, and they need to be tied at the hip with the subject matter experts, the end users who are going to need to use this system day in, day out to do their jobs. And this needs to be an instrumental part of an AI ad- adoption team that isn't as elevated as as we usually talk about when we discuss putting an ideal AI adoption team together. Do I have that right? Absolutely. You need to have a strong representation from the business. And while it's good to have the senior buy-in, it's really also important to have the, in a way, the junior buy-in, the operator buy-in. Again, if the end users love it, if they use your process every day, all the top-level benefits, all the strategic goals that you're having are so much easier to reach. So keep your focus very strongly on the people that do the job today and that would ultimately benefit on the day-to-day work from the technology and, yeah, keep design front and center. You mentioned, or I mentioned before, the early involvement of users And I want to understand just where in that process, how early are you involving them or when is the best time to involve users in the process to develop this technology? I would say it's so early that you don't even know yet if you will do this project. So it's even in the validation validation evaluation phase, because the best way to start with a process is not on a PowerPoint diagram, but sitting down with the people that do the process today and understand what they are doing. And from that, you gather your understanding and your requirements. And from the conversation with them in the current process, you understand what they need. And sometimes the conclusion is what they, you understand what they need, but today's technologies can't do it, right? This is also a potential outcome. Right. That's why for me on that one, there's not a, not a too early. Right, right, right. Even from the inception of the adoption project, you want you want to have users involved. In terms of you know other other parts of this process, we covered you know proper incentives, intuitive user designs, early involvement, day to day tracking sounds relatively simple. But are there any challenges there, particularly in the in the insurance space, or are there other factors that in particularly insurance firms need to consider outside of algorithms and models in their AI development. So if you wouldn't mind, I would actually like to add one more point why end users are sure. so that I have omitted. If you have a group of, let's call them pilot end users that co-develop it with you, they will also be much better in explaining the value and, and the approach of it to their peers. Because if I do it, or if my technology team is do it, doing it, we use inadvertently lots of tech jargon and we don't speak the language of the team in terms of their technical insurance terminologies that they use day in day out so you also have people then that can explain in a much more concise and precise way of how this technology can help day in day out so i think you also have this added benefit from bringing the end users and with you jumping from there to the question that you just asked what else i think it's around fast feedback cycles and trainings. Because even with the involvement of end users, even if you do a training, like you do a classroom training, you do a bit of a quiz around it to see if people really got their head around it, there will be always some surprises after go life that suddenly you realize, okay, that was a very good idea, but in reality, the way the data come in or the way the exceptions come up, that doesn't work. 
And then you need to be there. You need to have the development resources and the people available to really do changes on the fly. Because if users give you quick feedback after a week or two to say, hey, overall, this is really good, but this one thing really bugs us, and then your development team has moved on, then you have an issue. So for the first go live, go small, go with a few pilot users, learn from it, and, and keep in mind that even if the solution is live, your job is not yet done. Of course, of course. And always to our maxim, which I believe you've repeated before on the show, which is start small and keep the focus on that big picture. And if we can reiterate that chorus to close out today's show, I think that's that's something everybody can take home. Giro, thank you so much again for being on the program. Now for, for two straight episodes with me, I know you probably missed Dan, but thanks so much for being on the program today. We really appreciate it. It was fantastic speaking to you. Have a wonderful day. I had a feeling today's episode would strike a chord with our non-coding, non-technical business leadership audience. Just a hunch. I think also everyone who got a lot out of Giro being today's guest should go back to our April 11th episode, What Large Language Models Mean for Insurance. I think Giro has a really strong grasp of both the technology here and the industrial sector with which he operates. And I think both of these episodes really put a finer point on where we're going next for this entire industry. Giro is also a, a longtime friend of the show, so definitely check out all of his episodes going back, not just two of them. On behalf of Daniel and the entire team here at Emerge, thanks so much for joining us today, and we'll catch you next time on the AI and Business Podcast. 